Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. In the studio today, Tay Hua Feng, who is the group president of One Championship. Uh, those of you who know One Championship, it's MMA and excitement and esports now. And wow, Hua Feng, it is such an amazing, amazing league network product that you have put together. So much is going on in that space. Yeah, yeah, a lot's going on. I mean, you know, martial arts is the fastest growing sport in the world. Right. And I think the unique thing about martial arts, and by the way, uh, we do MMA, mixed martial arts, but right. we also do, as you know, bouncing, kickboxing, yeah. you know, jujitsu and a whole range of, uh, of other forms. And the interesting thing about, about martial arts is it's endemic to Asia. Mm. Right? Every single Asian country has a martial art, just like, you know, the NFL and American football is endemic to the U.S., <laughs> you know, for so yeah. many for so many decades, uh, of course, martial arts have have always been watched, and and, yeah. and there have been matches and bouts and things across and, Asia, mm-hmm. and of course in in North America and Europe. But but the big sports were typically like cricket or uh, football, European football, right. sometimes American football, American basketball. Yeah. But now, you know, there's really a, a shift in 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 the recent years toward. The Asian, if I can put it that way, the Asian, traditionally Asian sports, like sure. you say, yeah. jiu-jitsu. And, yeah, exactly. And that, that is really exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting. And I think, look, you know, America has always been the mecca for sports commercialization, right? right? Mm. And, uh, and credit to our, our peers at UFC over in the U.S. for actually commercializing martial arts, you know, uh, for, uh, for a long period of time uh, in the U.S. You know, they were actually in the game a lot earlier than we were. But the interesting thing about this sport is, you know, it has four to 5,000 years of history in Asia, hmm. right? Basketball, American football, which I'm, I'm a fan of as well. You know, basketball, for instance, has less than 200 years of history in North America. Sure. Right? So this is something actually that's been, go, you know, as a participation sport, it's been around for a long time. As a competitive sport on a country-by-country basis, it's been around for a long time as well. Has it been in the but same— before we came, yeah. you know, to the scene, no one had really kind of organized and commercialized it across Asia-Pac. Yeah. And then obviously the nice thing about martial arts is not only is it loved by Asians, it's loved by the world. Right, so we we broadcast in 140 plus countries, including wow. the U.S., Russia, Germany, Italy, Spain, and we hope to get to get to every single country in the world at some point. That is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Tae Hua Feng, who is the group president of One Championship, and Hua Feng, you know, when you when you talk about it being, you know, so so such a rich, rich and and deep history, is it in the same form that it was hundreds and hundreds, or even thousands of years ago, or or is the format and the form of MMA, for example, changed? Over yeah, the years, yeah. Look, or, I'm sure it's changed. You know, just like anything, any sort of uh, facet of culture, language, right, religion, mm-hmm. etc. These things evolve over time. You know, but the fundamental sort of fighting forms, you know, wushu, you know, karate, judo, jujitsu. If you look at you know two guys, uh, two girls competing in the ring uh, or the cage, you you can tell, right, that there's a lot of tradition and it inherits from a lot of the traditional forms. But of course, look, in mixed martial arts in particular, which is a freestyle form of combat, you know. You can employ different forms, you know, from different disciplines. Mm. Yeah. Just recently, you had your hundredth MMA event. Eighty-five million viewers yeah. uh, tuning yeah. into this. It was, it was a in, record in Tokyo yeah. in mid-October. That's right. Tell us about that. Yeah. So look, Japan is one of the big, you know, centers of martial arts in Asia. Yeah. Right. It has the the sort of unique characteristic of having more than one martial art that is deeply entrenched in the social fabric of the country: karate, judo, jujitsu, sumo. 
Yeah. Right, we actually had our event in the in the historic uh, sumo stadium. Oh, get out! Uh, in uh, in Japan, yeah, it was great. It was wow. wonderful. They had these little these little sort of mats that you can sort of sit on. Like families go there, yeah, kids yeah, go, yeah. they sit down, they have a picnic yeah. while watching our. Uh, <laughs> Those are the ones they usually throw at the sumo wrestlers when they <laughs> right, see a right, good exactly, move. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But look, the thing is, uh, so Japan is a, is obviously a very important market for us. This year also marks the start of a very deep broadcast and distribution presence in Japan. You know, anchored by our partners, uh, TV Tokyo and Abima TV. So look, you know, we want to hit 100 million viewers per event, okay, in the next, call it, you know, two to three years. That's what the Super Bowl does once a year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But we can do it because Asia's a pretty big place. Yeah. Right? And we also have audiences outside of Asia. What are you finding is the, is the key driver to, in this commercialization of, of these Asian uh, sports that, that you, that one has done very well in tapping yeah. into? What, what are the drivers? Uh, you know, the viewing habits are different now. People want to see it on yeah. devices versus yeah. TV, you know, yeah. uh, you know, terrestrial TV or cable TV. Yeah. What's the recipe for success? Yeah. No, Glenn, that's a great point. You know, I'd say, I'd say this. So as you alluded to, the distribution, the distribution channels change over time. We've all seen how free-to-air was disrupted by pay TV. We're now seeing how TV in general is being disrupted by digital. And that's yeah. why we were pretty fortunate to be born in the digital age uh, but because we're born in Asia, where free-to-air and pay TV are still pretty prevalent, we decided to have a polygamous distribution strategy what does that starting mean? from day one. Yeah. So we're on all, all mediums, right? Mm. If you In Singapore, you can watch us on you know, MediaCorp uh, Channel 5. You can watch us on Toggle. You can watch us on Facebook, YouTube. You can watch us on the app, right? And so we are on all platforms. We're multi-platform. Because, you know, the truth, truth be told, many people today live in a multi-screen world, yep. right? If I'm not looking at my phone, I'm looking at my iPad, if I'm not looking at my iPad, I'm looking at my, my de- desktop. Otherwise, I'm looking uh, at a TV somewhere, be it in the gym or at home, right? So we're all consuming different types of... Now, the way we consume content, of course, is different, right? On social media, you can comment, you can share. On linear TV, it's, very much, uh, it's much more of a passive viewing experience. Mm, mm. But it doesn't mean that it's mutually exclusive, right? Sure. So the distribution may change. But what ultimately drives people to watch sports and what ultimately creates sports fandom hasn't changed. Has that, it's values, ha- heroes, and stories. Has that local changed heroes your, on a global stage. Yeah. Has that changed your, your business model, though? I mean, you know, look, you got to make money at the end of the day yeah. and going across all these platforms. Yeah. It can be expensive, but also it <laughs> fractures a, strat- a, a business strategy in a certain way as well if it's, mm. not, done, if it's not done right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Whether or not you're on free-to-air or digital, there's always a way to make money, right? Mm. Free-to-air... Uh, operators make money off of ads. You know, we sell sponsorships, right, off of our free-to-air broadcast. There are some instances in the U.S., for instance, where Turner Sports, you know, which is part of the the Warner Media Group, Mm. has paid us up front for the rights, Mm. right, to kind of distribute our... So we say, fine, take it. And they're like, okay, great, we'll put it on TNT and we'll put it on BR Live. So we have to shut down or shut off our app in the U.S., right, Mm. out out of respect for that partnership. But, you know, be it free to air or be it an exclusive, you know, country-focused digital-slash-TV upfront fee-paying deal, both, you know, both of those things can, can yield you some, some cash. It's getting very right? complex these days, isn't it? The business it's of broadcasting. It's getting very complex. Slicing it. But, you know, what's interesting is this, though. It's getting very complex because of the, multi, the, the multiple you know, distribution options that we have today. Yeah. At the same time, you know, production capabilities have, have, uh, have also advanced, right? Mm. Video editing, mm. right? Graphics, et cetera. So we're in a situation now where it's not just streaming a live event. We can create stories, create movies. We're in a movie deal right now with Globe, uh, Globe Telecom in the Philippines, right? Uh, we have a whole bunch of reality shows. Some are country-focused, some are international. One of them's hosted by Rich Franklin, who is a former uh, UFC champion. He works for us now. Is that right? Yeah. So, and, and all these things are distributed. I mean, if you go to Singapore Airlines, you can watch both 
you know, a magazine show in form, uh, uh, on one championship, but you can also watch Rich Franklin's One Warrior series, which is a reality show. He travels around Asia. It's like Anthony Bourdain, but hmm. for martial arts. He's hmm. looking for the next big fighter to come out of Asia. Wow. So, you know, because of advances in technology, and of course, because of the, of the need for good stories, you know, that part doesn't change. So we can play around with a lot of things to create content exclusively for specific distribution channels. Yeah. And that's monetizable as well. Yeah, when you talk about you know, sports entertainment, it, and sports has always been entertainment at a certain level, yeah. what are the, for the Asian audiences, and, and it's, I know it's so hard to say Asian audience because you've got so many cultures and so many, so many different countries and so many different sports, but is there something that, that taps into what people in this part of the world really like to see or yeah. experience yeah. when it comes to sports and entertainment? combined. Yeah, I think that's a, that's, that's a great point. You know, I'd say this, a couple, a couple of uh, thoughts to, uh, to your question. One is anyone, Asian or not, likes to watch their fellow countrymen succeeding on the world stage, hmm. right? There's a reason why. A great know, deal of pride. Yeah, a great deal of pride. Joseph yeah. Schooling, right? Mm, uh, sure. When he uh, won the gold uh, in Rio, 100 fly, the whole country, I, I can bet you more, more, <laughs> than, more than 70% of the country was watching that, you know, yeah. that swim, right? Mm. And everyone was reading about it the next day, right? Everyone's crying, right, as they watched it. That's no different if you're Asian or not. The difference is traditional global sports heroes traditionally have not been Asian, right? Yeah. Very few. Yao Ming happens once in a generation. Li Na happens once in a generation. A few of the baseball players <laughs> in the US. A few of the baseball players, yeah. a couple of soccer players, right. right? But I think what our sport has done is enabled us to unearth you know, a lot of championship or championship caliber athletes because, once again, martial arts is from this part of the world. There's a lot of talent out here that has not been discovered. You know, there's some kid in Thailand who's been kicking a tree since he was five, right? <laughs> and, and, and some of those kids are in our league now, and they're world champions. And, th- and these are champions that are succeeding on, a, on the world stage. We're a global league. We're not a regional league. Yeah. Right? When we talk about the, the edge of greatness, one edge of greatness, local stars, Amir Khan, yeah. Tiffany Teo. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the local talent that you've seen, the Singaporean talent. Yeah. You know what? If you just look at the SEA Games, right, uh, and the Asian mm. Games, Singapore has done pretty well mm. uh, in martial arts, right, be it judo, jiu-jitsu, boxing, taekwondo, you know, Constance Lian, right, is a great example, right? She medaled at the, uh, you know, gold medalist at the SEA Games and silver medalist at the, at the recent Asian Games, right, uh, in, uh, in Jakarta. So Singapore has some talent. There's some talent. But look, it's a small country, right? So we have to always be realistic, you know, how much uh, talent we're going to get from, you know, four to five uh, uh, residents, right, in Singapore. But I'm very, I'm very excited, right, at the pipeline that we have. Um, you mentioned Amir Khan. Tiffany Teo was a title contender, also Singaporean. Everyone knows Anjali. Right. But, you know, even beyond, you know, these names that are better known, we have guys like uh, Ashraf bin Fauzi, who has actually been signed up to one war series or reality show. He has five wins, one loss as an amateur. He's one and one as a pro. Very talented guy, mid to late 20s. And he's very cerebral in his approach. Is that right? Yeah. And that's one thing that people sometimes forget. Right. Amidst, you know, the grappling and the punching and the kicking that martial arts is a very cerebral sport. You know, you're always calculating distance. You're always ranging. Yeah. Always you know, trying to find the right distance. You're trying to figure a thinking, out... A thinking person's it, sport, huh? It's, a, it's exactly, yeah. exactly that, hmm. right? And especially once you combine the stand-up game with the ground game, there's a lot to think about. Do I kick this guy? Do I take him down? Do I try to submit him, right? Or, you know, is my stamina better than his or hers that we can go the distance and I'll try to take him out in the fourth or fifth round, right? Let's, let's talk about esports because a, a massive, massive opportunity for business and for entertainment yeah. and something that most of us are just now starting to get an inkling of, you know, been around five, six more years in terms of a big business. But it is going to be 
like blockbuster time across Asia and yeah. elsewhere. You guys are in on that. What are you doing and, and what are the opportunities for fans to, to watch and to get involved? Yeah, look, so for esports, you know, the, the business logic of pivoting to this vertical was pretty straightforward. Yeah, you know, kind of a no-brainer. Because <laughs> you know, martial arts, what's interesting is, yes, fa- fast-growing aside, and also, you know, practice all across Asia and love by the world aside, the fan base tends to skew young. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's a huge overlap actually between martial arts fans and esports fans. Not a surprise, right? So we're like, hey, yeah. we have the fan base, yeah. right? But we also have what the capabilities. We're probably the only co- uh, the only company in the world that can organize these huge sports events in the biggest stadiums week in week out in different countries. That's different jurisdictions, cultures, languages, partners, etc. Right? Oh, and on top of that, there's broadcast, marketing, sponsorship. So do that over and over again. There's not that many companies in the world that can do that. The NBA mm. has games every day, but it's in one country, right? Right. So they would say, hey. Game developers, let's go do this, right? Partner with us, and we'll help, you know, uh, organize these tournaments uh, for your IP, uh, and we'll share the benefits. And it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, we've signed up a whole bunch of titles now. We have Street Fighter and Tekken. We did an event for them in Japan around our October 100th event. And we've just launched a Dota 2 a competition series. Actually, it's going on right now, you know, at the Singapore Indoor Stadium. So for those of you who want to check it out, please go buy tickets, right? Yeah, uh, just head over out. there and it's, it's all weekend. weekend. Dota 2 Invitational all weekend. It's actually the biggest uh, 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 Dota 2 competition circuit now. Next year, we're going to host one of the majors. Wow. And that's also going to be in the Singapore Indoor Stadium. We're having one in Jakarta as well. And we're actually going to announce a few more titles. So people of a certain age have a hard time understanding what is so interesting about watching other people play esports. <laughs> but I have to, you know, when yeah. I have this conversation with my friends who are yeah. maybe in their 40s or 50s, I have to remind them, it's like, well, you pay money to watch somebody else play football, basketball, whatever, other team sport. Yeah. What's the difference, right? It's just a younger generation values esports perhaps more than traditional yeah. stadium sports. Is that is that the right way to look at it? I think so. Look, I'm, I'm in my 40s, right? So I'm also a little bit more traditional, you know, when you talked about sports growing up. In terms of your tastes. Yeah, for me it was. (laughs) But, you know, look, um, chess is a sport, Mm. right? Snooker is a sport. Darts are a sport. You know, look, I mean, let's let's be fair. And by the way, you'd be surprised at how much, how how physical esports is. The kind of hand-eye coordination. Oh, yeah. The kind of hand-eye coordination, the the kind of sort of mental acuity you need. Because they play for hours on end. They play for hours, right? And and, and this is not simple. This is not Pac-Man. Right? This is not Pac-Man, right? Now, th- these, are, these are complex uh, games that require a certain level of, once again, you know, mental toughness, a certain level of hand-eye coordination, and I would say fitness as well. Mm. You know, so one thing we're hoping to bring to the esports community, like what we, bring, what we brought to martial arts, is storytelling. We want to unearth you know, these heroes, these local heroes. Yeah. These, you know, a lot of people have this misconception. These are a bunch of nerdy kids just playing. Com- no, th- these are athletes, mm. right? and they too have their struggles, their trials, and their tribulations, and we want to bring their stories to light. And they're making money too. Yeah, they're making some decent money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> surprising. I tell, yeah, right? like, I'll give you an example. The the prize pool for our tournament uh, this weekend is five hundred thousand U.S. dollars. So top, and, and these are global teams. So the top twelve teams from around the world will battle out for five for half, you know, half a million dollars U.S. Thank you uh, so much. Our guest in studio today has been Tae Hua Feng, who is the group president of One Championship. Huge future for for not only esports, obviously, but for MMA. Congratulations. I hope you'll come back and talk to us uh, as, as the sports progress. Thanks a lot, Glenn. Appreciate you having me here. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.